This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. It's episode 86 of the Equalizer podcast. I'm Dan Lawletta. I'm joined this week by Rachel McGregor. And if you listened last week and heard me saying it was episode 84 the whole time, well, you know, I was wrong about that. That was episode 85. So now we're on episode 86. Hopefully we got the episode number right this time. And uh, Rachel, as we begin uh, this weekend, we're a week out from Thanksgiving and the holiday season in the United States. Another Mostly newsless week in this lovely league we call the NWSL. So let's start off with the news that has rattled the national team a little bit, and that is that Don Scott, the high-performance coach for the U.S. national team, has decided to step down, did not accept a new contract, and will actually now take a similar position with the English national team. And it's interesting because England has been under fire a lot. They have not played well since the World Cup, but... This is another sign that they are indeed maybe trying to build something really special over there. Yeah, and it's I mean, it's added fuel to the fire for the rivalry, too. I think that, you know, for the longest time, there was a a, a lot of chatter about who is the United States biggest rivals. It's not like, you know, where's the men's national team? It's basically everyone in Congress like Costa Rica and Mexico for the United States. It's it's teams that aren't quite within their bubble. And I think that um, I think England has kind of taken over as that almost like the, the villain for the United States women's national team. And I think to see Don Scott go over from the U.S. to England is like I mean, it, it stinks overall in general, but it's just like kind of a, a, a stab in the back in a way to to the U.S. women's national team, albeit I don't think that was her intention, but just based on the rivalry. I, I think that's what it's kind of perceived to be. Right. And you can't really have player switching sides in international soccer, except for like at the level of Sofia Huerta, which doesn't really lead to a rivalry. So it's basically the coaches and the staff. And it's probably pretty rare that you can get a staff member uh, that's not a head coach that can make this big of a, you know, this much waves by going from one team to another, but I think Don Scott will do it because as the quote unquote high performance coach, she was praised for a lot of the good that came of the U.S. national team and their fitness. And for years and years and years, we have heard that, well, the U.S. is fitter than every other team on the planet. And I think that narrative gets a little old sometimes. And partly, I think the the other teams in the world need to stop kind of accepting that and maybe this has been an example of that for England uh so yeah it'll be it'll be interesting to see I think how both teams move from here you figure it's easier for the U.S. to kind of you know take what she did for them 
and build on it. But for England, it'll be a totally different experience. You would have to think that again, they've got their own issues. You know, their coach is under fire. They've played horribly since the world cup. I didn't love how uh, Phil Neville kind of changed his course from the night after losing to the U S when he said, Hey, we've got something to play for in the third place game. Then they got run off the park and he said, well, this game didn't mean anything. Um, and I don't know that he's recovered from that remark yet, but they've still got the Olympics to come and then the Euro. So I'm interested to see how it goes. I think this is a good, this is a good moment for women's soccer because I think we, you know, I think we need more, more things like this in the game. Yeah, and I, I mean it's something to talk about too. And as as long as you're talking about women's soccer, you're kind of getting it on the map, getting it on the radar, getting it trending on Twitter and whatnot. And so really, um, there's the old saying that. Um, I think it's what any news is or any coverage is like good coverage or whatnot. Yeah, and so definitely. I think that um, I think that, you know, whether or not it's great for the United States, it's great for women's soccer in general, just to get people talking about it. And I mean, there's like you said, there's not a lot of people that talk about the people behind the scenes. So I think it gives a nice little credit to what Don Scott has done and what and maybe open up doors to, hey, you know, there's a couple of secret weapons in women's soccer like Don maybe not up to the par of Don Scott but still like maybe give those type of people some credit as well now can I say something a little controversial here go for it (laughs) um and I think Don Scott has you know probably done a wonderful job and you know it's hard because you don't know exactly what she's doing on a day-to-day basis there have been some good articles put out about it uh especially during this world cup and in, in its aftermath but isn't it also a complaint that most of the U.S. national team players are injured too much of the time. I know she's not necessarily the trainer, per se. She's responsible for, like, more of a broad brush of how they, you know, how they live their lives and whatnot. You know, high performance, not necessarily physical training. But, you know, is it possible we're giving her a little bit too much credit? I, I can see both sides of it where you're coming from. I think, you know, using um, where I think we're always going to use Kelly O'Hara as an example here. She went to the World Cup basically injured and she came back injured and she still played even though she was injured. Um, so I think that, you know, you can look at Don Scott in the way of, OK, she was able to help keep uh, Kelly O'Hara's fitness level high and whatnot and enough for the World Cup. But then it just kind of went to kaputs afterwards. So I can definitely see both sides of it. Um, I just think that she, the praise that she gets mainly comes from the, the innovation she put forward to the national team using, you know, countless different types of technology tracking um, 12,000 different things and, and, and helping figure out how to track the female body and whatnot. So I think that, you know, that for me is what I give her praise for. Not, not so much the, um, the training part, as you say, but because she's not a trainer, but I think that, you know, I can see both sides of it. I think there's been a, a, a little bit of times where I've had to say, okay, like this is getting a little out of control um, with the, we love Don Scott fan club, <laughs> but um <laughs> But there, but I understand the importance of what she's done and how to almost evolve, you know, tracking and whatnot. All fair points. And I'll add this. How many players around February, March were we saying, are they going to make it to the World Cup? Are they going to make it to and through the World Cup healthy? 
and pretty much everybody did. I, you know, maybe Haran wasn't perfect and then got, you know, kind of lost her spot because of it. But I don't know that she ever didn't play in a game because she wasn't healthy. You know, O'Hara got concussed in the final and I guess was okay enough to get back and play for the Royals. And then other things caught up to her. You know, Lavelle left the one game with a little injury and then came back and played in the final. And that maybe was her best game of the whole World Cup. There really weren't players on that team that couldn't play because they were injured. But, you know, even watching the NWSL games, and I remember calling the last Pride game before the uh, the players left for the World Cup, and there was a last-minute change where Ashlyn Harris got hurt and Haley Kottmeyer had to start. And then, obviously, Harris didn't take the field in the World Cup, but as far as we know, she was healthy. So whatever they did and however the players came out of the World Cup, they got to and through the World Cup in excellent shape. Yeah, I agree. I don't have much to add. I think that, you know, Dawn Scott, she'll be missed. But at the same time, it's a, it's a huge pickup for England. Um, we didn't have you on since the national team played. Did you get to watch any of the two uh, Vlaco games? You, you were at one of those games, weren't you? Yeah, I was in a, I was in Columbus. It's a hop, skip and a jump three hours from from Pittsburgh. So I was able to go um, Watched both of them really liked what I saw from it. I, I think that there was kind of a new uh, a new wave of sorts. There was new excitement for the players and and talking to a few of the players after the match, we got to talk to um, Andy Sullivan, Rose Lavelle, um, Carly Lloyd and and I don't I don't remember who the fourth one was, but we um we were talking with them after the match and they had said, you know, everything's been great. He's been awesome. We've learned so much from him. And like, that's even, that was the first of the two matches. So that's just in like what, three or four days of yep. actually being around uh, Vlako and Danofsky. So I really enjoyed them. Um, I don't really know what to make of the Costa Rica match. Cause again, with the draw and everything, they're going to see them again. And I think their match though is in February. So that could be like a whole different team. But I think that overall it was, really good performances. And I, I enjoyed watching um, Vlatko coach too. He was really vocal. Yeah. And you know what? It's easy now, but the time will come where he's going to have to say to somebody, you're not part of my qualifying team. You're not part of my Olympic team. And that's really, I think where some of these coaches make their money is how to, how to handle that, not only for the players that leave, but how to handle that for the players that are left behind. And he got kind of lucky this time because the aforementioned injuries, you know, how many players weren't participating and that opened the door to call in some new players without having to tell anybody you're not part of this roster. So it'll get harder from here. But as I said to somebody, if this is a team that finds its enjoyment, that didn't have that when they were winning two world cups in a row, good luck to everybody else. Yeah, no, I I totally agree. I think that I think that, you know, in terms of getting back to the basics, it's not getting back to the basics in the way you play. It's getting back to the basics in the way you why you play the game. Yeah, absolutely. And that's also the hardest time of the year, I think, to keep players happy, because I don't think any of the players want to be there by that point. You know, they're years over. They've already won the World Cup. They've already won or not won in the league. And, you know, I I was watching the red stars, you know, filter out after the final, the NWSL championship. And you're thinking, all right, well, their year's over, but if you're Julie Ertz, it's not over. You know, if you're Casey short, not over. If you're Alyssa Nayer, not over. 
Uh, I just, you know, I mean, 2015, if you remember, when they had the 10-game victory tour and they went all the way into December. And by the end of it, it was like, oh, another game. I can't even imagine how it must have felt as players to be going all over the country and playing in those games. So credit to Vlatko for that. It's probably a good time to get a new coach in because it's the time that you can use the boost. So going to be real interesting. We've got this December camp coming up. Uh, we're anxious to hear what the roster is for that camp. There won't be any games, so we won't get a lot of intel probably coming out of it, but that'll be interesting as well. All right, let's let's uh, let's end this segment there. We'll come back with some more on the Equalizer podcast with Rachel McGregor. I'm Dan Lawletter. This is episode 86 of the Equalizer podcast. Hey everyone, Jeff Kasouf here with some exciting news about the 2020 United Soccer Coaches Convention in Baltimore. The Equalizer will once again be there on Podcast Row, bringing you exclusive podcast interviews with some of the best minds in the game. Registration is now open for the convention, and you can make your plans to join us in Baltimore from January 15th to the 19th for networking, coaching education, and licensing. And of course, there's the annual NWSL Draft, which you can come watch as a fan. We're at the convention every year, and honestly, it's the one week on the calendar annually where everyone who's anyone in U.S. soccer is truly in the same place at the same time. Register before December 11th for the best rates by going to unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org and stop by Podcast Row to chat with your hosts from The Equalizer. That's unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org for more information. We'll see you in Baltimore. Back on the Equalizer podcast, episode 86 with Dan and Rachel. And with a reminder to please rate and review the Equalizer podcast, the better ratings and better reviews that you give to us, the more great content that we can bring to you. So please rate and review the Equalizer podcast today. And Rachel, let's rate and review Sky Blue FC announcing on Monday of this week that they will indeed move to Red Bull Arena on a permanent basis. Couple of things here. It took a while for this deal to get cut. And in fact, John and I were on last week's podcast talking about how disturbing it was that they hadn't made the announcement. And sure enough, by the time most people listened to it, I'm sure they had already seen the announcement that it was a done deal. So apologies if that sounded awkward, but it did take a while. But it also, the release said it was for the 2020 season. So there's not necessarily an indication yet that this is a long-term arrangement. But I don't know if you've ever been to Yursac. Almost anywhere they could have gone is an upgrade from Yursac, and Red Bull is a pretty fantastic venue, in my opinion. What are your thoughts? I have not been to Yursac before, but I have been to Red Bull Arena once. Um, It's a great venue, and most of all, um, I had saw this on Twitter or something that somebody had written. Well, it looks like... um, Sky Blue FC has better home digs than some of the MLS teams that have to share stadiums with a baseball field. That's true. New York City FC. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I think it's, I think it's a great move. I think that a partnership with, with Red Bull over um, New York City FC is definitely huge. I know that um, right before they had played one of their matches at Red Bull, a couple players had gone to, uh, New York City FC match and so I think there was a little bit of what the heck is going on here with that so um, I think it's great to see the the partnership between them and it's something that you know you have to give a ton of credit to everyone behind the scenes um, Elise Lahieu who has um, really just taken the job and, and rolled with it and has done so many good things 
for um, Sky Blue FC, but it's great to see them get a, a legitimate uh, soccer environment. And I really hope that fans can pack into the stadium because that stadium can hold a lot of people. So hint, hint, get to get to Red Bull this year. Yeah, it's 25,000. They're not obviously going to get that. But when they had the 9,000 plus for their first game there, when they played twice there this past season, the first one was 9,000 plus on a really hot day in the summer afternoon game. And it, it sounded and looked really good. The next time they had about 7,000. And I thought it was decidedly less. I was surprised they announced as high as it was. Uh, but it still sounded good. The acoustics in that building are really good. And I feel like certain places, and I'll give you Houston as one, when there's nobody in the upper deck in Houston, it kind of looks like the way the stadium is, it's a little steep. And it kind of looks like this, the empty seats are looking down on you, like they're just staring at you and saying, hey, there's nobody sitting in my seat. I mm-hmm. don't feel that way at Red Bull. I think I thought that with people on the bottom, the acoustics and everything just played out sensationally. So, you know, from a media perspective, I'm looking forward to it. It's the best media seat I'm aware of in soccer. So that's, uh, you know, selfishly, I like that. But I think people will be able to get there better. And I think it will just look and sound better. And, you know, I can't stress enough. I always say when you flip on a game and it's in Portland, it looks and sounds important. And I think it'll just look and sound more important when the games are at Red Bull. The players will be able to shower after the games, which doesn't sound like a big deal because you just don't think of a sporting venue where you can't do that. So, you know, a big, big boost. Now, they still need a coach and some other things, but can't imagine this doesn't work out well for them, assuming that it's more than one season. Are they training there, too? I can't imagine that they are because uh, the Red Bulls train there or do they train somewhere? I don't even know. I, I don't know that answer. So I'm, I'm really not sure. I know their training situation has been a year to year thing. So that's something that we should, you know, that we'll definitely look into. Um, but I can't imagine they would let both teams do that. I think they'll be lucky to get in day before just for a walkthrough. But that could also lead to better home field advantage because maybe visiting teams won't get in at all. I know they did not they did not train on that field last season before either of their games. But this is, you know, the whole new situation now. They're also, by the way, on a media blackout They're uh, they're they're they will not. No one from there is speaking to the media right now. <laughs> because, you know, all they have is good news to report. So for whatever reason, they don't want to talk to anybody. <laughs> Um, that's also been a favorite venue of, um, the U S national team. And we talked a little bit in that first segment about this December camp. Um, I've heard a couple of names that may be in the camp. Bethany Balter is one. I think Sarah Gordon is likely to be in there. Uh, give me some names of players, uh, that you would like to maybe see. In that camp, it's, I don't know the exact rules, but it's basically a camp for players who are not on the national team. So I guess it could be anybody from like Nicole Barnard down to a U17 player. Well, I think that, you know, whether 
whatever these rules are. I mean, I don't know if Casey Murphy qualifies. I think she's someone you have to bring in. Um, One player that, you know, I know Orlando didn't have the best season this last year, but I really like Rachel Hill. I like what she does, and I think she's a really solid player. I don't see her as just a backup. I see her. I mean, she was better than some of the stars this year. So I really, um, really enjoyed her. She had, um, I believe she had four goals this year um, to to help bolster whatever that or Orlando needed. But I, I would like to see her into the camp. Um, somebody like Jordan DiBiase in the camp. I think she had a really good season with, uh, with Washington Add Sam Staub in there too. I think it's tough. Cause I know that Staub, I, I believe DiBiase is too, but Staub's in the W league. So getting her over from Australia is definitely going to hurt the, um, the time difference and whatnot. But uh, those are two players I'd really like to see. I'd like to see Tori Huster too, just because I think she's always been a really good, solid presence for um, for Washington. But those are the players that I mainly had. Um, I know she has a, a cap or two to her name, but Megan Oyster is somebody I think I'd like to see back in there. Um, but bringing back someone like Sofia Huerta too could be good, whether these cap rules apply or, or whatnot. Yeah, I was going to mention where to. I don't think there's anything that disqualifies you from this camp. I just think it's for players that are not necessarily in the mix to be in the January camp, or maybe they're trying to play their way into the January camp, which is not really a, a standalone camp this year because they're going into qualifying. I think where to would be a good one. I like Oyster as a good one. Um, I just had somebody, oh, Ojai is another one who I don't think Ojai has really gotten back to where she was since she tore her ACL. But, you know, some players maybe will, would respond well to being called into a camp like this. I like DiBiase, Staub also from Washington. Uh, I'd like to see Ashley Hatch maybe get a shot to see what she can do. And some of these players I don't necessarily even feel are national team caliber, but I've long been a believer of calling as many players as you can because you never know who rises to the occasion and you never know what intelligence that player is going to bring back to somebody else on their club team and allow those players to get better so i think the more plays you get into the system even for short amounts of time the better off you are and someone that vlatko has been extremely high on is i really i always said for the last like three years that shea groom deserved uh, a shot at the national team so i'd like to see her get back into it um if she's healthy maybe give veronica latsko a look i know she's also in australia with the w league and just uh just resigned with the houston dash so i'd like to see her get in there that's a shameless plug though because she's from pittsburgh and i will <laughs> always root for her um but i i think those those players definitely deserve a chance and and i think that any player that gets called into this camp does have a legitimate shot of really impressing Vladko and and possibly being on that qualifying roster. I think another name we forgot is Emily Menges has kind of been on the on the cutting edge of maybe breaking into the national team scene for quite a while and has gotten I think maybe a call up but not a cap. If that's right, I could be wrong about that. Uh, I feel like yeah, it was a call up. I mean, she's definitely not capped. Whether or not she has gotten a call up, I'm I'm not sure. I'll take your word for it if you say she did. Um, one thing I have a I question ho- for you. Yes, oh, sorry. No, Would you bring ahead. back Sydney LaRue? Um, probably not based on her form in 2018, although we did find out that she had some pretty major physical and emotional trauma going on that year, uh, losing a baby during the season. So, uh, I don't know. I haven't seen it myself, 
But again, bring her in, see what she's got. Maybe it's not completely out of the question. What about you? Um, I think I would at least bring her there just to get a look at her and to train. Um, but I, again, I see your point. So I, I don't know. The one thing I don't love about this camp, I think it's a great idea, but I think it's hard to judge these players when you don't have any of the established players in that camp with you. So, I mean, you're, I guess you're trying to figure out who exceeds and excel, who excels within the confines of this group. But if this is the secondary group, then I think it's hard to figure out who's going to excel when you get in with the best players, if that makes any sense. No, I think that makes sense. I think it's just kind of let's see where these players are at and and see how well they do and then keep them in your pocket just in case. Because, you know, I always felt, and again, this year's an exception because of qualifying, but I always felt like the January camp should be the camp where you tell, you know, Sauerbrunn, Rapino, you know, Morgan, players like that, look, you don't have to come to this January camp. We know you're good. We know what you can do. Give your body an extra couple of weeks off and let's take seven or eight players in that wouldn't normally be there and see what they can do. But, you know, they've got the, the way they've got it set up is it's not necessarily as uncomfortable as it should be for some of the top players. I also hope I really hope that the players who are in this camp have known about it for a while. I remember and I forget what year it was, but Lauren Barnes, I read an article about Lauren Barnes, about how she spent the entire offseason backpacking through Asia. It was the first time in years that she had not trained playing soccer in the offseason. And then she got called into a camp. I think she maybe got called into the camp maybe ahead of She Believes or the April one, right when the season started. And I was thinking, you know, that's great that they called her in. But the fact that she was that she had turned off her soccer body for for the first time and then got called in, like there was something off about that. Like I get you've got to stay ready. But it is also nice that there's a little better communication. So hopefully the communication is a little bit better uh, heading into this camp. Because you don't want players that just have, you know, shut it down after their season ended. And, oh, I'm in camp. I guess I better get ready to roll. Yeah, and I think that's where the W League also helps, too. Because those players who, um, if they get called in and are in the W League, they are keeping their fitness up. So, But those players who are not in the W League, yeah, that communication goes like a whole long way. I kind of hope they don't do that. Though. Remember when Sonnet was in the W League and they called her back in? She flew all the way back over and then dressed for both games but didn't play or maybe didn't dress but didn't yeah. get in the game. I, I feel like, you know, if you're in the W League, you know, play, your, play in the W League and, and we'll figure out if you're playing well over there. That, uh, so I hope they don't disrupt too much over there. That's, that's, that is a long trip. I've never made it, but that's a long trip. You might make it in 2023. Yeah, yeah I might not make it in 2023. <laughs> uh, I'm more, you know what? I want Australia to ha have a World Cup, but I'm not ready in 23. I want it to be 27 or 31. Can you make that happen for me? I'll work my magic. I mean, I it would just be nice if FIFA would acknowledge the 23 World Cup and let us know where it's going to be, because it's madness that you go to a World Cup and you don't know where the next one is. Yeah. <laughs> Madness, I tell you. All right. We've got some good questions on the Q&A this week, so we'll come back with the third and final segment with Rachel. I'm Dan. This is episode 86 of the Equalizer podcast.
third and final segment of the 86th episode of the Equalizer podcast, and it's time for the Equalizer Soccer Sports Reference Stat of the Week. Brought to you by our friends at Sports Reference. Check out their ever-growing catalog of women's soccer stats at fbref.com. That's fbref.com. NWSL stats will be uh, further updated between now and the end of the year. And uh, stat of the week, um, if you're a Houston Dash fan, you might not want to listen to this particular stat, but the Courage have now been in North Carolina for three years, and their win totals have been 16 17, 15. So that is a total of 48 wins. And as you know, three shields, two NWSL titles, three appearances in the final. That's all since getting to North Carolina. Well, the Houston Dash came into the league in 2014. They've got 43 total wins in six years. So 48 wins, three years in North Carolina, 43 for six years in Houston. However, I have a hunch the Dash might be ready to turn the corner. Anyway, that is your Equalizer Soccer Sports Reference Stat of the Week. Check out uh, Sports Reference's great catalog and ever-growing catalog of women's sports stats at fbref.com. What do you think, Rachel? Dash, ready to turn a corner, or is that like the yearly narrative that won't go away and never happens? Well, I think realistically it's the yearly narrative, but I I really like James Clarkson and he seems so nice and I just want things to be good for them. And (laughs) again, the shameless Veronica Lasko plug, I want her to score like 10 goals this year, 18 or 20. Yeah, I think she's still going to be coming back from the knee injury. So maybe she could play well. Maybe the breakout year is 2021 for her, I think, at this point after the knee. We'll see. All right, let's get to some questions on the Q&A. Xander White, this one, this is a Rachel McCrigger special here. Oh, boy. Um, with, with both old hands looking to cement their place in identification camps for younger talent, does Vlatko give Megan Klingenberg another look with the U.S. WNT? Ooh, more Pittsburgh love. I love all of the – I love Pittsburgh so much. Okay, anyway, I think um, – I think kind of back to your sentiment on Kelia Ojai from the last segment, I think Klingenberg is not quite where she was at maybe uh, to even a year ago to to her last year. So I think that, you know, if you're if you're really looking for defenders, yeah, I'd give her a look. But at the same time, it's, I think Flacco's really set on these younger players and getting a lot of younger folks in there. So, um I mean, I personally would like to see her back. I think it'd be nice. I just think in general, it'd be nice to see players who were, uh, for lack of better phrase, cast away from the national team without really any explanation um, and see them get another shot at it. But I don't know. I don't. That's a good question. I would like to see her back in there. But realistically, I don't think she'll be back there. Yeah, I don't see it. I haven't seen it from her play. Uh, again, you know, kind of like LaRue, do you bring her in and just say, let you know, show me what you got? Maybe. But I, I haven't seen it from what she's done in the league the last couple of years. You opened up a little bit of a can of worms there, though, when you said players that have been cast away without explanation. Do you do you want there to be a formal ex- explanation or do you want it to trend more toward the men's side where, you know, you can be like Tim Howard, announce that you're not coming back anymore, but otherwise you can just get dropped from the team and. Maybe you get called back in, maybe you don't. I think there's been some explanation, at least for the men's national team. Like, I remember um, 
I remember when Bruce Arena took over and Fabian Johnson was kind of like, well, I'm just not coming back unless it's a meaningful game. But then when Greg Berhalter came in charge, Fabian was like, you know, Bruce kind of told me to say that. So at least there's a little bit of an explanation. Like, I'm not telling Megan Klingenberg, Whitney Ingen, or or, or even Sidney LaRue to write a tell-all book about what happened and what the conversation was with Jill Ellis. But at least, you know, give us some hint. It was just kind of dropped and, and nothing else. And I think the biggest thing about that, though, is at least for Klingenberg, they were dropped when they were playing well. So, and I know Vlatko's big on... And he said it before during his introductory press conference. If you're playing well, you're going to get called in. If you're not, you're not going to. I think he's kind of ditching this whole, you know, you're getting called in because of your name and because of your pedigree. So um, sorry for opening up the worm can. (laughs) But at the same time, I think at least with certain people on the men's national team, there is an explanation. It's not just like, you know, Alfredo Morales gets like seven, eight caps, and then he's dropped and nobody really hears the thing and nobody really asks to hear a thing. But if you're having someone like Megan Klingenberg, who I don't know her cap number off the top of my head, but I feel like it's over at least 40 and then just get dropped, then, you know, there I think there kind of needs to be an explanation. I remember after 15, Whitney Ingen was the one player that kind of announced to the world that the national team had told her that her services were no longer needed. And um, good for her because she retired soon after that. And it could have been just a random retirement, but she made it known that, hey, the national team said no, so so I'm going to retire. Uh, last thing on this topic, um, in terms of older former players, Barnhart and Amy Rodriguez. You bring them back in for a look? Amy Rodriguez, yes. I don't think Nicole Barnhart just because of the um, I think she's still a good player, but I think there's too many other better goalkeepers to roll with. You know, I I agree. I think that the only reason you would bring in Barnhart is if you think she would be your starter at a major tournament, because there's no value in having her as your backup. At, you know, at at her age. And I. I agree, Rodriguez, bring her in. But I, again, I don't see it from her this past season. Like, she had her stretches, but I I don't see her as a national team caliber player at this point in time. Yeah, I don't think there was a lot of consistency. I definitely think it was spurts of, you know, greatness. It was She was one of those players that, like, was – it was like when she was on, she was really, really great. But, like, even just a few mishaps, it was just really, really bad. Yeah, agree. All right, uh, Matt Rushing, what's going on with the search for the Reigns' new coach? Uh, we talked about this last week. I have no idea, uh, but I also know that the Reign uh, still don't have 2020 season tickets available. Uh, that's a little bit more disturbing to me than not having a coach. Um, don't know if you've heard any rumblings, but I don't know. I I have heard nothing. And let's pull up their ticket link right now. And it is still coming soon for 2020 uh, tickets. So that's uh, that's a problem. Jay Lorch fan, top draft picks from NCAA. Any of you think should get a WNT call up? Uh, I plead almost complete ignorance on the NCAA front. Uh, you know, Emily Fox has already been called in a little bit. Didn't play great. I assume uh, that I don't think he'll take college players to December camp. Um, if they still have college games to go, and I'm not sure what the exact dates are of the camp, 
Uh, do you, anything from you on NCAA, or do we just move on from this question? I think if there's anything, I have to give a little ACC love to Zierra King of North Carolina State. She she's been bleh words. She was really really good when I saw her play in Pittsburgh, despite not scoring. But she has a pretty high pedigree there. But other than that, Allie Watt is obviously a a, a shoe in because she's one of the top ranked players um, to come out of NCAA. But other than that, I've got nothing. Old man soccer. Is there somebody we should blame for the Don Scott thing? I want to be mad at someone. I can relate to that last part at times. Uh, I have no idea. I, I mean, I think she would have come back. I think, I mean, my working theory is that U.S. soccer played a little hardball. She figured, hey, I did a lot. I should get more money. And they couldn't come to an agreement. So she left. But I don't also think we necessarily need to blame somebody for everything. I just want to say that fans who are screaming sabotage should take a chill pill. Um, <laughs> but other than that, I, I don't know if there's really anyone on, to blame there. She, I think one of the reasons, too, that she decided to go back to England was because that's where she's from. That's where her family's at. So why not? Well, so, Joe, I'm sure a lot will make about Chelsea's manager claiming the WSL I don't. All right. Um, this one's not worded so well, but the, I'll just paraphrase here. Emma Hayes, who manages Chelsea, uh, tweeted something to the effect that the women's league in England is the best league in the world. And it's I think she used the expression pure utopia or something like that. Um, and Woso Joe says to me, bottom teams in NWSL are much stronger than majority of teams in WSL, even if top teams are great and becoming greater. Um, I, I mean, this goes back to the whole rivalry thing, right? I mean, if well, I don't blame Emma Hayes for saying that her league is the best. I don't agree that her league is the best. I don't watch her league often enough to really have an educated opinion on it. But, yeah, I think the best teams in the U.S. in the NWSL would pummel the bottom teams in the WSL. And I think probably if you merge the leagues together, the top two or three teams in our league would be better than the top teams in England. But I don't have a problem with Emma Hayes saying it. Yeah, I don't have a problem with her saying it either. I like the confidence, but I think there's still a ways to go. They're also, you know, don't sleep on a league like that because those teams are all backed by very rich, powerful men's teams. And they might be ignoring them now, but it takes about 10 minutes to decide they're going to start putting a lot of money into it. And that will flip things quite a bit. Janine, what does it take for Orlando to turn it around? Any chance? Julia Ashley and Hallie Mace will come back to New Jersey now that things appear to be turning around. What about Alana Cook coming back stateside? That's a three all in one. Um, you can take the pride question first. What do you think for the pride to turn things around? An overhaul. An overhaul of, like, almost everyone. I think that there needs to be a, a reality check, an ego check. An ego check is huge. I think that's one of the the big pillars. Um, but I think the coach needs to take a check himself. I think Mark Skinner needs to sit down and realize what do I need to do to be better? Um, so I think a major, major overhaul I give, and I give Skinner a short leash. If you can't turn it around, then you're gone. Well, you know, he came in fairness though. He came in a little late in the game. They didn't have a ton of roster flexibility. They didn't have a ton of draft picks. Um, and I thought Morgan and Marta were, I mean, let's be honest, they were terrible pre-World Cup. Marta picked it up a little bit afterwards. Morgan was mostly injured. Marta's coming back. I wouldn't be surprised if Morgan doesn't. Um, 
But I don't know that I can blame the coach on this one necessarily. And I thought they played hard most of the time. Maybe just by saying they played hard most of the time, maybe that's an indictment on the coach right there. I don't know. Well, that's why I think the ego check is the biggest thing. I think that, you know, I I don't think Mark Skinner was given a lot of fair criticism this uh, towards the end of the season, towards the off season. But um, yeah, I think the ego check is one of the biggest things and it's, it's time to get, it's time to get the roster rolling a little bit. You know, there are no guarantees, no matter what your name is. All right, on the Mason-Ashley front, um, we've actually been trying to figure this out, the uh, the media, for the last week or two since the announcement of the players that went into the reentry draft, and they weren't among them. It sounds like Sky Blue has offered them contracts, and so they are still technically Sky Blue property, and that the most likely scenario is that they will be traded. Um, I, I, it definitely seems like they both want to play in the league. I think Mesa's value is about five times more than Ashley, even though they were drafted pretty close together. And I think Mace would be a great player to be called into this December camp. I hope they play in the league. Uh, we'll see, you know, we're still kind of waiting on this expansion announcement or non-announcement. Uh, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say they'll both be in the league. Neither one with sky blue. That's bold. Well, it's not bold to say they won't be with Sky Blue, but that they'll be in the league. But you know what? Hey, maybe maybe they wake up and say, hey, yeah, I'd like to play at Red Bull Arena. Maybe <laughs> as, a, as a home player. All right. Lana Cook, no idea, uh, but it would be nice if she came. Um, let's see. Rainmaster, have you heard anything about why no Rain FC season tickets available? Also, no press release that Teresa Nielsen was not returning any news on coaching vacancy. Uh, none on the coaching vacancies. Good question about no press release regarding Nielsen. I don't know that Rain FC have a ton of staff, uh, but Nielsen did um, wind up getting married, apparently changed her name, uh, took on her married name, and is back over uh, playing for Bronby. So that's all I got on that. All you got is all I got on that. All right, let's see. Any last-minute ones? We do not. Any last-minute questions that I can throw at you? Um, Thanksgiving is coming up. Give me something you're thankful for uh, on the WOSO front. On the WOSO front, um, I'm grateful that Russia has a national team. That makes (laughs) my heart happy. Um, I'm grateful that they have a shot at the Euro. That also makes my heart happy. Um, and I'm, I'm grateful that Sky Blue is going to Red Bull Arena. What's the, uh, what is the latest with Russia and the Euros? Um, I feel, I think they're in second behind the Netherlands, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. Let's see if I can pull that up real quick while we, uh, babble through the last parts of this segment. Um, I, I'm grateful just that we have women's soccer to talk about honestly you know with all the different leagues that i covered just over the years you know the league would fold and you would lose touch with people and then the league would new league would sprout up and then you would you know get back in touch with some people but you know people would be gone and all that stuff so um i'm I'm, yeah i'm grateful that we that we have uh women's soccer to cover on a regular basis so that's uh or thankful i guess is is what I should be saying. And if you keep, if you can talk for about another 15 seconds, I'll get you this Russia info. 
Well, I have it pulled up right here. They are um, actually in third. Um, they have so Netherlands has a has a solid 18 points. Slovenia has six, and Russia has six. But Slovenia is up on a goal differential of plus four to Russia's plus three. All right, but Slovenia has played five times, and Russia has played three times. Yes. And it looks so like more action. And it looks like Russia beat Slovenia. Yes. In Slovenia, and they'll play again April 14th. So, and the Netherlands is going to win the group, obviously. Hey, hey, now, hey, now. <laughs> well, they're six, they're six and zero, oh, and they're. I mean, <laughs> come on, they're the best. They're the best can, team in I that group. I can dream. I can dream. Well, you get in to you know if you finish second, you get into some kind of playoff. So, I think yeah, Russia's got a shot. I'll give you that. Russia has a shot. So Just we'll see what happens. I'll be rooting cross. for them on your behalf. Thank you. Who else? Who else is in that group? Um, I saw I saw Kosovo, Kosovo. Estonia, and Turkey. I don't think we have to worry about those three. Although Kosovo is two all in one here. I don't I don't know anything about the Kosovo women's national team, but they did beat Turkey, and I don't know what else they did. All right. Well, anyway, that's that. Kosovo beat Turkey. And they're 2-0-1. We should stop now because we're starting to uh, lose it. But uh, everybody who uh, is observing Thanksgiving, for have a very happy Thanksgiving. Rachel, thanks for uh, joining me today on the podcast. And we'll get you on again soon. For Rachel McCrigger, this is Dan Lawletta. You've been listening to Episode 86 of the Equalizer Podcast.